Hello everyone, Charlie Gladstone here, and thank you very much for joining me for episode seven of my Love in the Time of Coronavirus slow podcast series, in which I send questions to a bunch of friends and ask them three simple questions. Where are you and who are you with? What good do you think will come out of this mess? And please sell me something really good you've discovered or found again or started doing during this time. I only thought of doing this a week ago. It's now Easter Day, April the 12th, and I sent out a bunch of emails and the response has been amazing uh, from my guests. And the listenership has been huge as well. I've never had quite so many good or favorable and kind comments from people about it, which is interesting. The three most well-listened-to podcasts that I've done are my interviews with Nick Clegg, Harry Enfield, and my dad. And then I'm pretty sure that some of these are going to come in just after those, which is interesting because I've done over 50 conventional interviews. Anyway, I'm very grateful to everyone who's contributed, and I'm equally grateful to all of you who have listened to me. Today, I think we will start with Nick Wickham. Nick Wickham is a director, a director mainly of live music shows and of national theatre shows, as he describes in his contribution. He has done some remarkable work, including uh, directing the Red Hot Chili Peppers from Slane Castle, the Foo Fighters at Wembley Stadium. He's directed Madonna, a Beyonce film, R.E.M., and most recently, The Cure's highly acclaimed Cure 40 film, which came out last year. Nick is in Bristol, and this is what he had to tell me. Hi, Charlie, and hello, anyone listening. Um, so, where am I? Well, right now, I'm basking in these crazy high summer temperatures in Bristol. We're pretty lucky, really. There's plenty of space as the children are all locked down in three different countries. So it's just me and Kate. Um, and I'm not quite as locked down as my mum, who's almost 100 and so needs a daily but distanced visit along with food deliveries from us. Um, the live music industry is shut down, but I at least am not having to risk my life every day like the frontline workforce. Um, so, Charlie, uh, like you, I'm trying to see what upsides there might be. Um, it does feel like maybe we're not seeing the woods for the trees. Uh, whether we look at the situation as a loudly ringing alarm bell or an inviting open door, there's definitely an opportunity for us all to engage seriously in a discussion that has been avoided for too long. We're clearly facing three crises. One is health and the second is economic. That much, I think, is agreed. But the third is the climate emergency, an inconvenient truth that's recently been pushed down the news agenda. Um, ideas that until now have been ruled out as pie in the sky when it came to radical shifts in economic or social behaviour have, it turns out, been possible to activate overnight. So clearly it's an option for all of us to look at adopting the science and the economic models put forward for a world that keeps global warming below the agreed maximum levels. Uh, if we can so radically rethink how the money goes around and so quickly, then imagine what we could do for the environment and the climate. Um, and if the world's scientists can collaborate to find a vaccine for this terrible virus, 
then why not expect all of them and all of us to urgently create solutions to the far worse environmental catastrophe that's lying around the corner? So you asked what good I thought might come out of this mess. Um, I think we could all remember that it's actually okay for all of us to make the same demands for an environmentally sustainable future as we are making for our immediate health and economic futures. Uh, the impossible just became possible, and that's got to be a good thing. Um, well, as you asked what I may have discovered or found again or started doing, um, uh, I'm actually doing some work on my ropey Spanish um, rather than just planning to do it. Um, and I'm attempting to master the basics of yoga. Um, and then maybe next week I'll start that screenplay. Um, and as a footnote, uh, um, as well as making concert films, I sometimes direct the cinema broadcasts of NT Live from the National Theatre. So it's good to see them being streamed online every Thursday at seven. Uh, well, we can't all crowd together for a rock and roll show or for a play for the foreseeable future. We can at least share the moment of the curtain going up and the lights going down. And that feels pretty positive and pretty democratic. Um, anyway, uh, good luck with the rest of the show, Charlie. And um, uh, yes, let's be positive. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that, Nick. As you will know if you've listened to a few of these podcasts, I've been talking about a number of long albums, what used to be called double albums. And in many ways, I think those are often the most difficult but simultaneously rewarding musical works that you will come across. I've talked about things as diverse as Pink Floyd's The Wall, Miles Davis's Bitches Brew, and ELO's Out of the Blue, as well, of course, as Sandinista, The Clash's magnum opus. Today, I want to talk about a couple of double albums which many of you will know, but won't perhaps have given quite enough attention to. The first is Hatful of Hollow by The Smiths, a double album of something like 16 tracks that was really made up of... Um, b-sides and singles and stuff that wasn't on albums i mean it's got songs like this charming man and how soon is now and what difference does it make and william it was really nothing and amazingly those weren't on albums although they are you know amongst many others on this album four absolutely cracking songs i think it was originally designed perhaps for america where it came out in 1993 and in the uk it came out in 1994 Anyway, give that a go. It's a fantastic, fantastic collection of non-album tracks by The Smiths. One of their best albums, actually. And then I want to talk briefly about Radiohead's Moonshaped Pool, their most recent album. Not perhaps their best-known album, their best-loved album. Um, I think it might just be their best album. It's only 11 tracks, but some of those are quite long, and on vinyl it stretches to four sides, so I'm going to count it as a double album. It's, it's a remarkable work. I mean, as usual with Radiohead, they just sort of dropped it out there as if it was the most casual thing in the world. It is in some ways absolutely heaving with dread and darkness, but it is a beautiful and life-affirming work. Anyway, moving on. Next up, we have Dan Burgess. Dan will be known to many of you for his um, involvement with the Good Life Experience, 
as well as um, talking at the Do Lectures and Murmurations in Chester, which is in fact where I first met him. Dan says about himself, um, I'm a former club DJ. Today I'm a bread making, trail running, surf loving, type one diabetic dad who believes in the power of the remix, the extraordinary possibilities and opportunities for those willing to imagine what could be and lean into what's unfolding on our watch. Dan is a public speaker and a consultant, and he works as an external collaborator and advisor and catalyst or provocateur for businesses which are open to change. And at the end of his bio on his website, danburgess.earth, he says, let's make a more beautiful world. Well, I totally agree, Dan, and your contribution to this is really beautiful. So here you go. So hi, this is Dan Burgess, and uh, I am uh, at home in Bath, or Bath, in Somerset, with my partner Seema, and my three children, and my dog, and my cat. Uh, and I just wanted to say up front, you know, I'm very, very, very grateful, and very, very lucky to be where I am, and I recognise that there are... Um, large amounts of people that are really struggling and really suffering right now and are in all kinds of difficulties so yeah just wanted to call that out and also there's all these extraordinary humans out there doing incredible things to keep this country supported uh on the front lines obviously in the hospitals and healthcare and social care but also just all the people helping out communities, sorting out of our food, sorting out everything, basically, delivering, you know, yeah, amazing, 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 amazing stuff going on in amongst all the carnage. Uh, so what good do I think will come out of this mess? That's a big question, Charlie. I've, I've sort of struggled a little bit, actually, over the last two to three weeks to sort of think. Um felt quite tangled up and uh, that's kind of interesting to me as someone that sort of spends quite a bit of time quite a bit of his work thinking about the future um i've struggled to articulate what i think is happening um i feel like there's still quite a lot of unraveling to occur before being able to make sense of what's really happening um but what good do i hope will come out of this mess might be a better question for me um, right now and what I hope is that um, the race to reboot the race to get back to normal inverted commas um, I really hope that the pause the great pause that many of us are experiencing although obviously not all people but some of us are experiencing allows a a revealing to occur of the absurdity of what modern normal life is was um, what do I mean by that? I mean that, um, like the, the pace of life, uh, is insane. Normal life, like the way we move around, the speed at which we move around at the, the distractions, the need to be in all these places. And, you know, <laughs> I hope that, I hope we don't go back to that. Uh, the need to just consume vast quantities of resources, materials, energy, uh, stuff, um, all, again, just to sort of live a modern life. Um, 
it's insane. I mean, it's been, it was insane before this happened. You know, the scientists have been telling us how insane it is. We're sort of killing our future uh, to maintain this kind of sense of modern life. Um, but it's so extreme, so excessive. And I really hope we can see that for what it is. And uh, yes, because that's madness. Um, uh, it's very, very... Um, uh, the inequality is, you know, of normal life is just huge. Like so many people struggle so insanely to do the basic things, feed themselves, have a home, um, you know, connect with others, have decent health. So I really hope that um, what comes out of all of that is a is a big awakening, a massive a realization that we could do so much better. We could dream so much better. And I think if you look on the ground now, what's going on, you'll see so many amazing things that are happening, have been happening for years. People trying to figure out how to do stuff better, how to treat people better, how to work with nature. Um, imagine if everyone had access to nature. That's another thing I hope will come through this. Um, but yeah, what about if we just what, come through this mess and we rebuild and reimagine and redesign from the bottom up with all these, uh, you know, based on you know, the household and the commons, we sort of bail, bail those things out and work from there and, and, and dream. We need a lot. Of, we've got the more this unravels, the more the pause goes on, the more the opportunity to dream. I think the sort of belief systems that we hold very, very true about what is an economy and what is success and all these kind of things. Um, and I think now we're starting to see, we're able to see, we're able to, they're being revealed as absurd, a lot of them, that they're sort of out of kilter with how life works. They're, they're, destruct, they're very destructive beliefs. Um, I hope we see how vulnerable our systems are through this. Like, we have no resilience at all, whether it's food, health... Um, community connection, support, education. There's just, it's just, there's, it's so vulnerable. The system, you literally, you stop, and the whole thing falls apart. So I hope we start to think: How do we build resilience? How do we build from the bottom up? How do we build in a more distributed, decentralized ways to ensure that when the next thing hits, we're we're able to respond, we're able to build resilience, because there will be more crises down the line. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping for. And then I think there's um, I've been exploring this kind of question of like what what is it to be wealthy, and uh, the word wealth um, stems from the Anglo-Saxon word wella, which means uh, well-being, uh, which means contented and healthy. Um, so I'm really interested in um, like what is that kind of you know if we were to grow that kind of wealth in our cultures and societies the well-being of people and planet, of all life, if we put that front and centre as um, as how we want to go about building that type, this kind of planetary and human and, and planetary health and well-being, um, what would that look like? How would that shift things if that would became the marker of success? An economy in service to all life, to regenerate and heal our world. So I'm hoping that might happen and then seeing all all the kind of love and kindness and compassion and generosity and creativity and sort of ingenuity at community level and connection that's going on and we're hearing these stories and you're seeing them and experiencing them around you and like that can we build from there what would happen if we built from that kind of energy from that kind of possibility you know that's the those were the sort of innovation qualities that we wanted to put 
front and centre in our commerce and our institutions and in our civic ways of organising. We work from that place and let's re let's go on this the recovery or the the turning or the the transition that we need to go on after this. But let's let's build from that place. Let's design from those types of qualities. So that's um, that's what I'm hoping. I think that would be. Um, I think that'd be epic. So that's what I hope. That's what I hope might come through. Um, I think that would be uh, that'll be marvelous. Something that I've discovered, found again, started doing. I've started getting up and um, singing the sun up over the hill, uh, which I've found rather marvelous. Um, and it doesn't really. I don't really have anything particular to sing about. I just sort of stand there, and then whatever comes out, as I look at the sun coming up over the hill, whatever comes out comes out. And sometimes it's just a sort of series of sort of melodic grunts, and I can kind of shuffle as well as I'm as I'm doing it. And sometimes I might have a dinner. Might be some lyrics of of sort, um, and I you know they might not make much sense, but that's fine. Just basically whatever as you stand there, and just you just sort of stand there, and whatever starts coming up just comes up. You know, and I think maybe maybe there's some form of sort of strange indigenous language that's um, that's uh, emerging from my physical soul as um, as I as I stare at the sun. You know, it could be sort of like a local dialect to the to the to the hill that I live on. But anyway, whatever it is, singing the sun up every morning. That's what I've been doing uh, the last uh, the last uh, week, and it's been um, it's good. So I'm going to keep doing it. Things I want to promote, um, yeah, FridayFuture.love, uh, which uh, has been a, a sort of um, a bubbling little experiment about uh, what might happen if those who could uh, dedicated their Fridays or 20% of their working week towards collective action for the future of all life on this planet. What would you do with that time? What would you focus on? How would you do it? Um and uh, since the pandemic landed, uh, we've just been running a Zoom session every Friday, which is actually a space for not knowing. So you can come and join 11am GMT and uh, not know for an hour and just share where where what is arising for you at this moment when you think about the collective future of humanity and all species. And um, yeah, so go to FridayFuture.love and you can find the details there. And then obviously uh, my podcast, The Spaceship Earth, uh, The Spaceship.Earth. If you want to hear some more rambling conversations with me, um, come there. So uh, thanks very much, Charlie, for this experiment. Uh, big love to everyone. Stay well. Let's, uh, let's build the love revolution. Um, take it easy. Peace and out. I wanted to talk briefly today about some more books. A number of you have um, told me that you've started reading some of the books that I've recommended recently. So I'm trying to pick books that are perhaps slightly less well known that I've read in the last year. I tend to read, I'm reading a novel all the time, I'm reading something all the time and when I'm on a good run I will read a novel a week. I much prefer novels, I very rarely read non-fiction but I do love The Private Life of the Hare by John Lewis Stemple. I was lucky enough to interview John Lewis Stemple at the Cheltenham Literary Festival quite a long time ago now and um, he turned up in his boiler suit and Wellington boots straight from the farm. He understands his own brand really well. But The Private Life of the Hare is a short book, uh, but, but it really is the most beautiful eulogy to probably one of my favourite naturalised animals in Britain.
I also then wanted to mention a book, an absolutely brilliant book that I actually read last summer that I'd slightly forgotten about called um, French Exit by Patrick DeWitt. I don't know if you read The Sisters Brothers, but French Exit is an absolutely bananas book about a recently widowed New York socialite and her adult aged and childishly brained son Malcolm, um, who disappears off to Paris um, and they basically go on this kind of mad drive to self-destruction along with um, a, a cast of really bizarre characters they meet along the way. It, it's a really, it, you'll race through it. I mean, it's a couple of hundred pages. It's, it's wonderful. And finally, I'd like to mention Benjamin Markovitz's A Weekend in New York, which I was given by some friends a couple of years ago and still sticks with me today. It's about a family that come together for a weekend in New York. It's based around a tennis tournament and it's a really lovely book full of truth about family. He has actually just done a follow-up to this, which I've got somewhere in my pile and I'll be reading soon. Anyway, those are my book recommendations for today, alongside my long, slow album recommendations. Next up today is Helen Mark, founder and nursery owner of the Outdoor Owls which is an early years education centre outdoors. Now, it's, this is something that really interests me. And Helen left a high-powered job to set up this business, which she established very recently. And it's based on the Scandinavian model, I think, of trying to bring up children with a greater connection to nature, which is something that profoundly interests me. I was lucky enough to meet Helen when she was a regular in our peddler shop in London and we became friends and she came to speak at the Good Life Experience next year. What makes Helen so interesting at the moment is not just that she started an ambitious and wonderful business that I'm sure will grow from strength to strength. I think her ideas are quite ambitious, but she has also had a baby during lockdown. So here's Helen telling us about that. I'm at home in my flat in Notting Hill with my partner Brice and our five weeks old baby daughter, Else. She was born uh, just before the crisis. Um, so it was some really intense first weeks with her where on the one hand, I was filled with joy and happiness of, of her arrival. Um, and on the other hand, I was really stressed out because the week after her birth, my partner got a really high fever and other corona symptoms. So we had to self-isolate and he was basically living on an air mattress in the living room while I had to try and, and keep the baby three meters away from him. And on top of that, I had to navigate a lot of stress at work. Uh, I had just opened a new company in January, uh, an outdoor nursery, which I'd worked really, really hard to set up. Um, but then we had to temporarily close it, right? So, so I was naturally really worried for my team and for the company. Um, but luckily, my partner has recovered again and... Everything is all good, so so we're just really trying to enjoy this baby bubble, and uh, and actually it fits in quite neatly with home isolation, just being in this in this bubble. So personally, it's given me space to really enjoy time with my baby. Um, because I recently started my own company, I don't really get any maternity. Uh, so had it not been for this lockdown, I'd probably have been getting slowly back to work by now. So I I just really try and appreciate the time that I get to spend with her. 
And, and yeah, I mean, surely I'm sad that my family who lives in Denmark have not been able to meet her. Um, but there's a silver lining in everything. And it's actually been really nice not to have any pressure of visitors and, and just being able to enjoy this baby bubble, the three of us. And on a more general level, I really hope this crisis will make the world slow down, even after it opens up again. For those of us who have been so lucky not to to be seriously ill or to be working on the front line, uh, I think we suddenly found ourselves at home uh, with a lot of time on our hands and and having to entertain ourselves with simple things like baking sourdoughs and banana breads and, and whatnot. And I think for many Londoners, the one-hour walk to the park has, has really been the, the big highlight of the day. And I know it sounds a bit cliche, but I hope that people have discovered a join this that beyond this lockdown will connect to more simple things in life and value things like nature and friendships and our local communities and, and love. So because of the baby, I haven't had much time to, uh, to discover new hobbies. She's been keeping me really busy. But, uh, but each day I make sure to have half an hour in the morning to do some yoga. And I've also been taking time to do something called breathworks. Uh, I've tried this on holidays, uh, but never really found time to do it at home until now. But it, it's so good. Like, it, it's really incredible. It's basically um, intensive breathing exercises where you breathe persistently until your lungs start to oxygenate your whole body and, and release a lot of tension. And it makes you feel super high on life and, and full of good vibrations. So... I really recommend it. It's it's so simple and yet so powerful. Well, I think that's it from me for today. Um, not quite, though. You're not going to quite get away yet because this morning I recorded the Dawn Chorus here in Harden. It's, I got up quite early, much earlier than I wanted to because, of course, on the days that you can sleep in, you tend not to sleep in. And I could just hear the birds going crazy outside the window. So I went downstairs and I got my pod recorder and I stuck it out of the window and I just pressed record for a minute or so. I sh share this with you not to try and be smug because I'm in a wonderful place and I'm very lucky. Um, I'm not a city person, but I am very glad not to be in a small apartment in a city at the moment. Um, in fact, my son and my daughter-in-law and my grandchild are, and we haven't even met our grandchild because of the lockdown. And I know that there are, there are, well, I mean, literally, I'm deeply blessed and I'm in a wonderful place. But I do think this dawn chorus is rather wonderful. So here's this for just a minute. I hope it brings you some comfort. And just to end, I want to play a song that I love. 
called Dawn Chorus by Tom York from his most recent album, Anima. I will see you in a couple of days for more recordings. Until then, I send my love and I hope you're okay. See you soon. Bye. Spiral path.